0: Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90
1: online instant games to choose from with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. How are you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Good afternoon. Happy Tuesday. We have in the house today Professor Joshua Geltzer. He serves as the founding executive director of the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection, as well as visiting professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center. He's also an international security program fellow at New America and an executive editor at Just Security. He served from 2015 to 2017 as senior director for counterterrorism at the National Security Council staff. And he also served as a law clerk to Justice Stephen Stephen Breyer of the U.S. Supreme Court. Please follow him on Twitter. His handle is J-Geltzer, J-G-E-L-T-Z-E-R. Good to have the professor uh, with us. Professor Geltzer, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and and welcome.
0: Good afternoon. Thanks for the invitation.
1: And uh, thank you for uh, being here. Um, Just yesterday, President Trump was making a lot of threats. And one of those threats was that he threatened to invoke the Insurrection Act. Now, a lot of people may read the headline and then they kind of Google it a little and they know this is from centuries ago. They know it gives the president some authority. They know it gives the president authority to send military into U.S. cities and towns. Uh, Some people think it's to quash domestic unrest because you know a lot more about this than most people Googling like me. Um, What is technically the Insurrection Act first? So let's step back even as to why the Insurrection Act is relevant.
0: And it begins with another law of some vintage, the Posse Comitatus Act. And listeners may have, again, heard of it but wonder exactly what it means. That's a law that prohibits the president from utilizing on U.S. soil the U.S. military in service of or in assistance to law enforcement unless there is some clear legal authority allowing him to do so. Now, the most common legal authority that presidents have contemplated or in some cases actually invoked, that's the Insurrection Act. And that's a law that says that if the president deems it necessary to put down a rebellion or enforce laws that are incapable of being otherwise enforced, he may, in fact, turn to the military
1: some people get confused because our constitution is pretty clear. We have a federal government, we have state governments, and even the president constantly, whether it's COVID-19 or now with the protesting and uh, riots, uh, you know, basically puts it on the governors um, of each state. Um, so don't the governors have a chance to try and quell such actions within their own state before the president steps in with any type of uh, invocation of this insurrection act?
0: This law, and as you say, like a lot of our law, does have a preference for what we call federalism, the chance for states to at least do a lot in our constitutional system. And in particular, there is a presumption that the National Guard, which of course is not our standing military, but it's a piece of the forces available, those report to governors unless federalized in certain circumstances. And more broadly, the Insurrection Act has one route in which governors ask for federal help. That's not happened here. Not one governor has said, so far as we know publicly, so far has even been reported privately to the president, help us by sending in the military. But the law also has another avenue, which the president makes that determination. Again, though, it's a determination the law says is triggered by an inability to otherwise enforce the law. And that's where some of us think the president is overreaching here, because what's happening across the country? is a lot of peaceful protest. There's also some violence, but there isn't rebellion, to use one word that appears in the law, or a general inability to restore law and order of the type that many of us think this law's invocation by a president requires.
1: Yeah. And I agree with you because, um, you know, you read my mind because I was going, I knew the answer. Sometimes I say to my kids, remember, I know the answer before I ask the question, but uh, not all of our listeners do. I knew that no governor had requested that. And that was going to be my question. So thank you for answering it before I said it. Awesome. Great minds think alike. Here, here, here's the thing, though. Um, you know, there has to be, I, I, I would think if, if I were president, God forbid, I have inhaled, but if I were president, the the, I would definitely give the governor some time because if you just look at in modern present day protests like this, whether it was Ferguson or whether it was after Charlottesville, um, it, the steam tends to go slower and gets let out of the engine at some point. After a while, people stop, stop protesting like after Donald Trump was elected the first day it's hundreds of thousands and then it goes down and then people just, it, it's almost like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of, of death, right? There's a point where they come to acceptance and, they you know, will peter out the protests, the, the rioting, the looting, and also giving the governors the opportunity to govern their state, which many people are doing, like where I am in California, uh, specifically in Los Angeles County, and, and then not just governors, but mayors um, and other local officials, uh, give the local law enforcement, give the local government the opportunity to place those uh, restrictions such as curfews and, and to try and manage things their own way. Because what works in Los Angeles may not necessarily work in Atlanta, uh, right? I mean, so so when you say overreaching, is he not just overreaching, but being beyond impatient with even considering the Insurrection Act at this point, when we've only had a few days, uh, technically, this is not uh, been, this is not havoc that's been wreaked upon our nation for weeks or months? This is the game
0: that Donald Trump seems to play over and over again with governors and sometimes with mayors across this country. When he wants to deflect blame from himself, he says that they're doing a terrible job about something. Before the awfulness of the current moment, the awfulness we were all talking about was this terrible pandemic, and this is what the president did when he wanted to blame uh, someone for what most of us thought was an abysmal handling and continues to be uh, an inadequate handling of, of the pandemic in this country. He blames governors, he blames mayors. To the extent something seems to go well in a certain jurisdiction, he credits himself. He says, I, Donald Trump, showed up and gave this governor, this mayor, something uh, they needed, whether or not that that's actually true. So here he seems to want the same thing. He wants to be able to cast aspersions on governors. We've all uh, read reports of how he apparently castized them on, on a phone call just yesterday, that they weren't going tough enough on, again, what are mostly peaceful protesters out there, but that he was his view was that the governors weren't being tough enough. They weren't, I think, dominating Uh, those out in the streets, to use the, the, the same word that the president apparently used on that call. But when he wants to enhance inflate his own authority, he doesn't hesitate to do so. In fact, sometimes he seems to relish doing so. And then there's somewhere in the middle where he likes to float the idea, to hold out the idea. He can do something without actually doing it, because when you do it, you do own some responsibility that even Donald Trump finds hard to Hard to take. and I do wonder if we're in that moment where he wants to dangle this, in my view, abuse of power, but only dangle it and not actually get to the point of using it and then being responsible for what might not well uh, turn out all too great.
1: Yeah, personal responsibility is not his strong point for sure. When the president spoke, he did say, to your point, um, lock those protesters up for ten years. Um, the president has a hard time with the Constitution, the First Amendment, due process, just two examples I can think of. Um, But so that people understand, because people have asked me, why are some people protesting getting arrested when in fact they do have a First Amendment right and the overwhelming majority of the protesters are peaceful? And two- could they be locked up for ten years? Don't they? You know, are these people just being uh, arrested to be taken away from the scene? Are they being put in a, in a cell overnight to chill out? Uh, you know, they, they, it's a blip on their record if they even have a record. Uh, you know, will these people even? Will we see trials for any of these protesters?
0: You know, Donald Trump seems unable or unwilling, or perhaps both, to separate out the different aspects of what's occurring right now, the different elements, because peaceful protesters, they shouldn't be arrested for anything. If if they're obeying the law, if they're exercising their First Amendment right to articulate grievances, not to mention grievances that are quite real, but he seems unable to separate that from the violence that we do see occasionally.
1: I want to go back to when the president um, was speaking and he was in the Rose Garden You could hear, and we've seen footage of this, we've heard footage, loud booms in the background. And we found out after the fact, very soon after the fact, that law enforcement officers there in DC, in our nation's capital, fired tear gas and rubber bullets at peaceful protesters who gathered near the White House. This last time I checked was the United States of America. Is this legal? Is this unprecedented from your expert point of view? Where, where do we stand and where does a protester stand with that, with that type of force?
0: It, it's, it's horrible. It, it, it's frankly unfathomable, I think, to some of us who assumed the country for all of its flaws was on a trajectory that wouldn't be this. And the idea that, that an order would be given to tear gas, as you say, peaceful protesters, really for any reason, but especially for the reason that the president wanted a photo op at a nearby church, it, that, that is the tactic of an authoritarian, and that flies in the face of a First Amendment that says you can petition the government for a redress of grievances. And for whatever violence is occurring right now in the country, there has been not one indication that that crowd gathered at the White House was part of the violence. It said they were part of the First Amendment protected protest
1: And yet, tear gas was used on them. We're going to take, take a quick I'm break Rebecca
2: Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets.
1: We're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. We are back with Professor Joshua Geltzer, founding executive director of the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection, also a visiting professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center. Follow him on Twitter. His handle is at Jay Geltzer, J-G-E-L-T-Z-E-R. Professor Geltzer, thank you for holding. Welcome back. We were talking about the protest. Uh, we were talking about the president. And uh, with regard to the Insurrection Act, you said, uh, and I think rightfully so, he's dangling something that he might not use. But if he were to go through with invoking the Insurrection Act, there are those out there that say it would be one of the most dramatic law enforcement escalations in decades, and that it would inflame tensions between the demonstrations, uh, demonstrators, excuse me, and their government, uh, rather than it would have the opposite effect, which one would hope would be to lower those tensions. Do you agree with that? It sure seems
0: that way. The last time a president invoked the act was actually in your part of the country, out in the LA area, as as the the Rodney King inspired, a uh, protest and riots uh, occurred, and and I don't think the the after action on that thought that that played out uh, terribly well. But in in some ways, we're asking a question about a normal president, and I feel like that question gets has to be contorted, translated into the presidency of Donald Trump because. The idea of making things better, of calming people down, of bringing them together, he's already doing the opposite of that in other ways, maybe not ways as as ultimately damaging to the rule of law or even uh, to to the norms of this country as invoking the Insurrection Act here might be. But his tweets, his rhetoric, his language, uh, not just publicly, but even private conversations like the one he apparently had with governors yesterday that only became public uh, later, he seems eager to divide, to polarize, to scapegoat. So the motivations really do seem different with this guy.
1: And a lot of people would say that the Insurrection Act should really only be used uh, in combat. And if you use it this way, then you're looking at these protests and uh, even the looting uh, as combative. Can you look at this and combat in the same prism? I don't.
0: No, this is why the the language of of our military leadership uh, using the phrase battle space the other day to refer to American cities, American streets, uh, really jumped out at many of us who have worked in national security or just many people following this. Look, nobody, I think, is going to excuse those who are committing Violence; those who are who are looting. Uh, I do think many of us have quite a bit of, of sympathy for those peacefully protesting. But the the whole of that, plus all the other complicated elements that are going into it; those who are accelerating it; those who are posing as one side to try to inflame tensions. It still is not a, something I would describe as a battle space. And the idea of a battle space isn't how we tend to think about our. Our home, our country, our cities, or how we want our federal leadership or our military approaching our home and our city.
1: If the president were to enact the Insurrection Act, um, would the law enforcement or military technically, right, uh, be able to search, seize assets, arrest protesters and people who are looting? Because I know there's some legal hoops that he would have to jump through to do that. And I say that because I think that's what he believes he has the power to do uh, through the military, uh, that the military would be his arm to search, seize assets, arrest protesters uh, and and others out there like those who are looting.
0: I agree that that's what he seems to be either dangling or perhaps even genuinely headed toward, and. As usual, the the, the law is at least a little more complicated than than Donald Trump makes it out to be. The basic idea of him invoking the Insurrection Act would be to facilitate the military acting in service of law enforcement. That's that piece of the Posse Comitatus Act, the other law we talked about earlier, that requires some other authority like the Insurrection Act. So presumably, if he's invoking the Insurrection Act, it's precisely to unlock those uh, those sorts of actions by the military. However, there have been cases uh, in the courts over time challenging the scope of activity by the military, uh, even under uh, these and, and related authorities. And as usual, courts don't regard don't regard it as a free for all. They try to set out limits. And I would hope here, even if these are the, site, the types of issues that courts tend to defer to the executive, on at least in times of real national crisis. I hope here they would scrutinize very carefully what's happening, uh, because this is a president who, at least in my view, has played fast and loose with, with the law in, in various ways for three plus years now. And this would be uh, the, an area in which the stakes are particularly high for him to do so.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, because you had mentioned the L.A. riots. I wasn't living here then. I was actually living in Buffalo, New York at the time, uh, and then headed uh, to uh, Houston and then New York City. But I remember watching them on television in in, in, uh, Buffalo, and this was back in 1992. And like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the governor of California at that time, Pete Wilson, ask the president for assistance to your earlier point that nobody has asked in any of the 50 states uh, currently with this situation, whereas then that Governor Pete Wilson, Governor of California back in 92, did in fact request the assistance?
0: I'll I'll confess I'm not positive, but I believe that is correct. And as a general matter, we think of uh, the Insurrection Act as at least more more legitimate, perhaps more uh, at least understandable for a president to invoke if a governor is asking for it. I mean, if a particular governor is asking for it, that governor hopefully is articulating what the situation on the ground really is, what the facts are that necessitate it, why that governor's own forces, by, by that I mean law enforcement primarily, but potentially National Guard, uh, are insufficient to, to really restore fundamental law and order, And it would then give a president something to to rest on, to do something that I would hope any normal president would be reluctant to do. And so there is that gulf between what we saw that time a number of decades ago and what we're seeing now, which is a president apparently unprompted by any governor, threatening this as some matter writ large. He's focused a bit on D.C., it seems, because of the symbolism, perhaps, because he lives there, perhaps, uh, at least right now. But he also seems to be dangling this as something, I don't know, nationwide that he wants us all to fear. And that seems to speak more to him and his rhetoric and his politics than it does to any real threat to which he'd be responding.
1: The protest obviously started after the death of murder, I believe, and what I saw of Mr. Floyd. Very quick last question here, Professor, just due to time. this to me, and and I certainly wasn't around, you know, in, in the 50s when civil rights began, but I think many of us have seen um, television footage of police officers u- using fire hoses uh, on protesters back then. And, and there are a lot of people who fear that we're going to relive, and African Americans especially fear, we're going to relive what we saw during the civil rights era. Can you speak to that briefly? We have one minute.
0: I think, I think that idea of fear is exactly what has uh, at least the peaceful protesters out in the streets. It's a fear that um, Americans who are part of various vulnerable communities keep saying they face at the hands of police and sometimes others. And this is where I think Donald Trump deserves at least some of the blame, maybe not all of the blame, but some of the blame for where we are right now as a nation, because he ran on a campaign of fever in 2016. He wanted certain parts of the voting population to fear certain groups that he scapegoated. That's something he's ramped up rather than ramping down as a candidate and now as president. And now this is the America that we have.
1: You rock. I'm Leslie Marshall. Quick break. And we'll be back with our next guest.
2: Life, liberty and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show.
1: back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. As we're trying to get in touch with the second guest, sometimes things happen uh, technically. And uh, Marky Markamaldi, my executive producer, is uh, trying to get her. Uh, Let me give you some updates uh, with regard to the George Floyd case. Um, Out of uh, Minneapolis, the state of Minnesota has filed civil rights charges against the Minneapolis Police Department in the death of Mr. George Floyd. I repeat, coming out, breaking news, the state of Minnesota files civil rights charges against Minneapolis Police Department in George Floyd's death. This is unprecedented. Uh, The attorney general in the state of Minnesota uh, is former Congressman Keith Ellison. He's an African American. He's also a Muslim American. Um, And some people would say this is unprecedented that the state of Minnesota has filed civil rights charges against the Minneapolis Police Department in the death of Mr. George Floyd. Um, Also uh, going on, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, a Republican from Wisconsin, uh, regarding the president's photo op at that church, St. John's, that we just talked about with our uh, guest at St. John's last night, quote, didn't really see it. Um, Every single response to Trump's photo op Um, is, Kyle Griffin says, who we we retweet a lot here, worth uh, your time. Senator Kelly Loeffler, Republican from Georgia, did not respond when asked uh, what the president did and if it was appropriate. And her spokesman handed the reporter, uh, Cassie Hunt, a card. Uh, Cassie, uh, who I follow as well, is a Capitol Hill correspondent with NBC News. Uh, Republican Senator Pat Roberts, Republican from Kansas, said, quote, I don't have any comment on that. By the way, these are the right wing Christian conservative Christian evangelicals. Right. Um, uh, Rick Scott from Florida. Senator Rick Scott said, don't stop to talk and says we all could do better when asked if the president could do better. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney, a Republican from Utah, said I didn't watch it closely enough to know. Senator Mike Enzi, a Republican from Wyoming. Sorry, I'm late for lunch. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, walked by without saying anything when asked the question. Republican from Alaska, Senator Lisa Murkowski, what we saw last night was not the America that I know. Well, at least she alludes to not being happy about it. Senator Dan Sullivan, a Republican from Alaska, walked by with no response. Senator Rob Portman, Republican from Ohio, quote, I'm late for lunch. So these are just some of those examples. Uh, but better late than never, we have our second guest with us in the hour, Sarah Riggs Amico. Uh, Sarah is a labor backed progressive businesswoman. She's a Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate in the state of Georgia. And I just mentioned Georgia, running for the seat currently held by David Perdue. She has an MBA from a little place called Havid, and I'm from Boston. I always respect this. Isn't terrible? I, I, I. I like people more, when I don't even know them when they've gone to school in the city I came from, even though I'm an alum not of Harvard, but of Northeastern. A Harvard MBA and 17-year business leader, she served most recently as executive chair of her family's trucking company. She's the only candidate in the race to have the backing of labor. She has endorsements from five labor unions, so we like her already. In 2018, she was the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor running with Stacey Abrams in one of the most closely watched elections in the country. Sarah and her husband live with their two young daughters in Mary. Georgia, lovely place just outside of Atlanta. Sarah, thank you for being with us today. It's good to have you with us. And uh, I want to mention to folks, if you're listening and you live in Georgia, the primary election is on June 9th, 2020. And if you want information on Sarah, please go to sarahforgeorgia.com. Also, follow her on Twitter. Her handle is at Sarah Riggs Amico, S-A-R-A-H-R-I-G-G-S-A-M-I-C-O. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and welcome. And taking the time, I know you're quite busy these days. No,
3: thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I don't think there's a more exciting place for U.S. Senate races this year than the state of Georgia.
1: Uh, Absolutely. A lot of eyes, if not all, are on Georgia. Um, I want to talk about the response to the federally directed assault on peaceful protesters um, outside of the uh, White House uh, so that that the president could take a photo at St. John's Episcopal Church. Um, I I want you to expand on what you said, and this is what you said, and I'm so glad we have you on right now because I just read Republican responses such as I'm late for lunch. And you said, quote, at a time when the nation needs leaders who bring us together, Donald Trump continues to divide America with actions that defy both logic and decency. For days, Donald Trump repeatedly called for violence to be used against protesters. Tonight, he followed through on those threats. He directed federal law enforcement to assault peaceful protesters in front of the White House, not for public safety, not for the law and order, mentally falsely claims, but so that he could indulge in a photo op in front of a church while using the Bible as a prop, which, by the way, many said he held upside down. Sarah... Uh, talk to us about why this matter. Why? Why does this matter? Because some people say, "Oh, big deal." He used it as a photo prop. Even the even the leaders of that church were offended by him using that, and more so the way the crowd was removed to give him that opportunity, space wise, to take the photo in front of St. John's Episcopal Church.
3: Yeah, the clergy was not only. Um baffled by the use of tear gas. Remember, many of them were affected by it. They were actually out there helping to hand out waters and supplies to peaceful protesters. And this matters in every way possible. Uh, Let me be clear, the Bible is not a prop, and First Amendment rights are not optional. And what the president did was tear gas, peaceful protesters demanding justice, equal uh, justice under the law for communities that have been denied that for far too long. And rather than go out and listen to the protesters and hear their concerns and feel the pain that black parents and this family, this country have felt for far too long, our president tear gassed peaceful protesters so that he could wave a Bible around in front of a church. You know, he didn't go there to pray, he didn't go there to reflect. He didn't go there to listen. He didn't go there for wisdom from his creator. He went there to use the Bible and the backdrop of a church as a political prop. It is deeply offensive to those of us who come from the Christian faith, but it should be deeply offensive to all Americans, independent of how or if you pray, that you have a president who believes you're that easily manipulated.
1: You know, it's, it's funny, I'm not a big prayer girl. And uh, I was a Christian years ago, but I work in uh, LA. But because of my position at Fox News Channel is one of the liberal contributors. Um, I am on set in New York and DC. So I go to DC once or twice a month, pre COVID and hopefully post COVID. And uh, I was taking a walk. It was a beautiful day. It was winter, but the sun had come out and it was warmer temperature than usual a couple of months ago. And I was walking by no joke, that very church. And I and I and I was having a tough day, and I walked inside and I prayed in that church for the first time in a very long time. So when I saw um, the, the the church being burned, I, I I felt a connection. But then when I saw the president standing, trying to look holier than thou with a Bible, you said, "Let's be clear, there is nothing holy about tear gassing peaceful protesters, so the president can do a Bible waving photo op at a house of worship." And 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 that's the thing; it was sort of like the reality show infomercial con man is what I and I think many Americans saw and were so greatly offended by because don't you wave the Bible around and try and act holy when you just to make the way for you to stand on that very place in front of the church on the sidewalk with that Bible, which you probably haven't opened, uh, had, had people tear gassed. What's holy about that? I love your quote.
3: That's right. And if the president were really going there for prayer and reflection, which we know he was not, because the sign behind him in his photo op says online services, I mean, it literally is absurd. But if he were really there for prayer and reflection, I would suggest he start with Matthew chapter six, where we are specifically instructed as Christians not to behave like hypocrites who go and pray in public places For the attention. In fact, the scripture says that that, therefore, is your reward in its entirety. God is unimpressed. But again, I'm not running to be anybody's pastor. I'm running to be a United States senator. And where I am deeply offended here is that the First Amendment rights of these peaceful protesters, there was no escalation. This crowd was well within their constitutional rights to not only peaceably assemble, but to ask their government for a redress of grievances. This goes back to the very origins of this nature in the Boston Tea Party. This has long been a part of our political process for progress and change and justice. Um, He assaulted those protesters with tear gas so that he could go over and pretend uh, that as a man of faith, he was going to somehow, uh, I guess, look for guidance. And if he is, again, Matthew chapter six is an excellent place to start, but I don't think that's why he was really there. He was there for a made for TV moment and every one of us should be offended.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Sarah went on to say, quote, all Americans of good conscience, but speak up against Donald Trump's bullying, his assault on our constitutional democracy and his destruction of both our democratic institutions and our shared sense of common decency. Amen to that. We'll be back with Sarah. We're going to talk about the killing, the murder of Mr. George Floyd right after this.
2: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. dot com. Many of you to cry, brother, brother, brother. There's far too many
1: of you die. One of my favorite songs, you know and it's exactly what this song is about <clears throat> just terrible. Uh, thank you for being with us. And we continue to speak with and thank you for joining us, those of you listening and watching on Periscope. Uh, Sarah Riggs Amiko, labor-backed progressive businesswoman, Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate in the great state of Georgia. The primary election June 9th of this year. Uh, Belize, go to her website, see what she's about, sarahforgeorgia.com, S A R A H. For F O R com. Follow her on Twitter, her handle at Sarah Riggs Amico. S a r a h r i g g s a m i c o. Sarah, thank you for holding welcome back. Well, we talked about the president standing in front of St. John's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C. with a Bible for a photo app after tear-gassing protesters. Uh, but in response to the police killing George Floyd and the subsequent protest. Uh, through in cities throughout the nation, including your own uh, capital, Atlanta, not the capital. of Georgia, but Atlanta. Uh, you uh, candidate for Senate, released the following statement, quote, "George Floyd should be alive. Firings will not bring him back. Arrest will not bring him back. True justice is ensuring he is not just another name in a long list of victims. The only justice that can be obtained is to make him the last. I agree a hundred percent. It's profound. it's compelling. It's real. It's genuine. A lot of people say, how? How do we do this? How do we change a system? Because there is a we have a systemic racism problem in this country, and, and we've had it for hundreds of years, even if sometimes it's held at bay in the closet, if you will. So h- how do we obtain justice, and how do we make Mr. Floyd the last of victims of this type of murder?
3: Absolutely. I mean, this really is the quintessential question of our time, isn't it? You know, for too long, this nation has been besieged by deep racial inequity. And when I say deep, I mean structural, institutional level bias by race and gender and class and privilege. And as a nation, we're going to have to decide in this year's elections, do we accept that? Do you want the color of your skin to determine how much access to economic opportunity you have? Uh, how much at risk your life is when you encounter law enforcement, whether uh, that's going to Starbucks or in your first traffic stop, something that many of us remember when we first got our driver's license. You know, we're going to have to decide what Black women, Black mothers in particular, have been telling us for generations. Reproductive justice is not just about how and when and with whom you choose to to have a family and your access access to reproductive autonomy, it's about the right of every parent to raise and parent their child in a safe environment and community. These are all fixable problems. They're just not fixable with senators like David Perdue in office. I mean, that's where we are. And so, in the U.S. Senate, we can do a number of things. Uh, first and foremost, in the Obama era, we had, of course, the 21st century policing task force, which led laid out. Five years ago, a number of policing reforms that could help uh, roll back the militarization of our police departments and increase the true equality under the law, including for black Americans. But the Trump administration, like so many other things, from the pandemic response plan uh, to the economy that was growing, has been laid fallow. This policy was left on the side of the road at the hubris of the Trump administration. Uh, So first and foremost, we need to go back to those recommendations. Uh, Secondly, we need to re-engage our Department of Justice. In the Obama era, there were aggressive investigations of police departments that had a pattern Mm -hmm of racial discrimination. Uh, And we've seen that fall all but by the wayside in the Trump era. I'm encouraged to see the DOJ is going to take a look into some of these recent cases. But look, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, um, gosh, you know, it's not just George Floyd. This goes Mm -hmm. back for generations. And my view is every one of those that happened after we've had solutions and proposals and ways to change it, uh, that blood is on the hands of the leaders who did nothing who knew better and did nothing. So we've got to re-engage our Department of Justice. Uh, we've got to support federal legislation to strengthen hate crimes laws. That includes the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. It's way past time for this stuff. And then at the top of our government, you know, the tone at the top, we need a president who can distinguish fact from fiction, who knows how to bring people together, who doesn't have to tear others down to build himself up. Uh, We need someone in the White House who understands the gravity of this moment. And we need to give them a Senate who is committed not just to putting a bandage on a head wound, but to really rooting out injustice. Right. I mean, that's where we are. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Death at the hands of a police officer is a daily fear for many black Americans. Um, You talk about fundamental legal and societal change being needed. I agree 100 percent. Um, you know, we we also forget as Mr. Floyd and so many of these names that we know, Trayvon Martin, uh, Eric Garnett, the list goes on. Um, these were things that were caught on camera, the taking of a human life caught on camera. How many lives are not caught on camera? And that's even more so uh, why we need a change. And not do need to just need a change, but we need it, like you said, at the federal level, but also at the state and local levels as well, correct? Yeah,
3: and not just in policing reform and criminal justice. Let's be clear. COVID-19 did not create structural and systemic inequity by race and gender and class in this country, but it sure exposed it. And now every one of us is gonna be held to account for what we do. Do we regress to the same systems that have left so many communities without justice and so many American families on the sidelines of the American dream? Or do we go forward and finally fix it? I mean, that's the world I want my daughters to grow up in, but look at it. Um, In Georgia, about 30% of our population is black but over half of our COVID deaths are. Over 80% Mm. of the people hospitalized are. In the first round of PPP, those federal relief funds, uh, the CARES Act created, Payroll Protection Program for Small Businesses, more than 90% of women in minority-owned businesses were shut out in the first round. Uh, You know, in everything from healthcare, to education, to economic justice, to environmental justice, we have seen our communities of color, and in particular, Black Americans, victimized by unjust systems. Not just leaders, but the systems themselves. And in this you've got a chance to vote for something better.
1: Absolutely. You know, I'm surprised when you said 30 percent because Atlanta has a much higher uh, percentage of African-Americans living uh, in its city limits. So I guess throughout the state, I, I really did th- think that the black community was a larger percentage of the state of Georgia. So you uh, you taught me something today.
3: Uh, well, we uh, have a very diverse population We're uh, we're certainly heading toward being a majority minority state. I think that's one of the things that makes Georgia so exciting, both economically and politically. We're looking like the future of this country. Uh, We have thriving Latinx populations, Asian American Pacific Islander populations. Um, This is a really incredible microcosm of how that beauty and diversity can be reflected for good in our country, but only if we have leaders who have a backbone and are willing to fight for it.
1: You're running to be a United States senator. There's only two per state, obviously, uh, in our nation. You've heard the president uh, in this administration as the commander in chief and leader of this nation, um, talk about the protesters, um, as thugs, um, and talk about, uh, throwing them in jail for 10 years, uh, obviously having no problem having tear gas, uh, you know, uh, shot toward them. Uh, the list goes on. Um, what, what is your take on, on when you look at this, um, Coming from the position and the background that you have, you know, working families and working class wanting to represent a state that's becoming more and more diverse, uh, specifically with an increase of population from African-Americans. And, you know, it really, to me, comes down to this is a very black and white issue and not just about race. And I guess as a Democrat, I don't understand why some Republicans out there can't grasp that these protests are the result of communities being denied their rights, being denied their safety, being denied their freedom for so long. They just don't trust, trust us, justice is coming anymore, and who can blame them?
3: That's right. These protests are not a quest for violence. These are a demand for justice, for communities that frankly should have had it generations ago. And as a country, I think we have a lot to account for. Uh, The good news is we also have a lot of hope to look forward to. We still have a chance to change this. Our kids can still grow up in a world where how much money your folks had, who you love, how or if you pray, or the color of your skin does not determine whether you can access quality public education, whether you were sick because you were poor or poor because you got sick, and what kind of economic opportunity you have access to in this country. All of this is fixable. But my plea to the voters of Georgia is you've got to put someone up there who understands how to fix it. They're fixable, but not with the people we have in office, not with Senator Perdue, not with Senator Loeffler, not with President Trump. They've had time. They've proven unworthy of the task and unwilling to find the backbone it takes to stand up and have some very difficult conversations that finally deliver equity and justice to all American communities.
1: Very well said, Sarah. I want everybody to go out there and vote for you on June 9th. I'm in California, not registered in Georgia. Wish I was. You would certainly have my vote. And not just because you're a Democrat, not just because you're a woman, not just because you have, yeah, you know, pro-union uh, gal, uh, not just because you have an MBA for my favorite institution, Harvard, uh, but um, also because you, like me, are not great with technology. Okay. So
3: you're not it to a tech entrepreneur. So go figure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just, I want to see, I want to see a blue wave once again, like we saw in the midterms. Thank you for taking the time. Sarah Riggs Amico, labor-backed progressive businesswoman, Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate in Georgia. Follow her at Sarah Riggs Amico, S-A-R-A-H-R-I-G-G-S-A-M-I-C-O. The election is June 9th. You've got to get out of vote Georgia. Go to sarahforgeorgia.com. I'm Leslie Marshall. Thank you, Marky Mark Romaldi, my executive. Producer.
3: Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days no resume or experience required health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy go to amazon.com apply that's amazon.com apply
2: amazon is an equal opportunity employer